You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves in the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe and Vince. If you've never produced a podcast, well, it's not exactly rocket science. While a lot of casts may sound like they're flying by the seat of the pants, most, in fact, are fairly scripted. During the week, show notes are written up with topic suggestions coming from everyone involved. Someone will try to work all of those ideas into a cohesive show, and sometimes that means cutting out topics. Sometimes a show will run long and we won't be able to fit everything in. And then in other cases, there's so little content in a given week that we just can't put everything in, and so we scrap it all and just play D&D instead. As it was a fairly slow week in terms of news, I thought we should go back and cover a bit of the news that was submitted for December that didn't quite make it to air. As it would happen, a lot of these were suggestions from Vince, so prep yourself for a lot of chatter from him. I'm That's it. a bit. <laughs> it's more than a bit. Yes, it is. Before we get into that, however, how were your holidays? I was sick on Christmas, man. Yeah. I was sick for the entire, like, two and a half weeks. I still have a cough periodically and phlegm, so <laughs> I feel for your one day sick. I truly oh, well and do. Well, here's the kicker, right? So it was the first time in the last five years my cousin, who I was one of my best friends growing up, has been back from Iraq. Oh, nice. So I didn't get to see him. Oh. Because I was sick and going to go to the family Christmas, and that was my one day to see him because oh, he shipped out two days later. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm all right. A few more feels there, but still not enough to, <laughs> to justify That's a fair. tear or two. No, no. Vince, what about you? I had a restful weekend, mostly uh, consisting of laying on the couch, playing Xenoblade Chronicles 3D, which Alicia was nice enough to get me for Christmas <laughs> and really enjoying it. Nice. Nice. All right. One of the things that actually pissed me off about the holiday season this year were the fucking Steam sales. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I don't think they understand the impact that their Steam sales have on our happiness as gamers. Because <laughs> especially during those holiday weeks when every day is a bunch of new presents that you can either buy or not. It's up to you, but every day feels like you're looking forward to one o'clock <laughs> and you can see what's offered and then go from there. And this was just everything shot in. And then you got to scroll for days to get through all that shit. And I wound up only buying a couple of very, very inexpensive games. Like were incredible discounts on them. And there were things that looked justifiably interesting. I don't know about you guys. What about you, Joe? Sorry, I was talking to myself while I was muted, apparently. Uh, I did actually didn't pick up a thing for myself. Uh, right. The only things I bought were for other people. Right. Um, so I wound up picking up, like, XCOM really, really cheap for a friend because uh, they wanted to play it. And I was like, here you go. But other than that, like, I didn't really buy anything. Right. It's like the first time I think in years. Yeah, I picked up uh, Pillars of Eternity. It was on a pretty good sale yes. there, and I've been wanting it for a while. Um, I picked up, like... You know, filling in gaps in the library. Like I got Knights of the Old Republic 2 because it was like a dollar. I picked up Legends of Grimrock, you know, just stuff like that. 
And then uh, you were nice enough to give me uh, Divinity Original Sin, and I played some of that, and it's it's pretty fun. Yeah, it looks like it's a lot of fun. So, yeah. Yeah, there was a – again, there were a lot of things that were justifiably really good sales, but those I owned. And then the rest of the sales were, for me at least, because, again, we're watching our money right now, not good enough to justify picking it up. And or it was like, yeah, I'm really not interested in that game. So there was one that I was thinking of picking up and it was um, I don't know if it's Horizon or Horizons for Elite Dangerous where you can actually go on the planets because I was looking. It was like, hey, 25 percent off. And I went, those motherfuckers rarely ever go on sale. I know that much. Mm-hmm. So I was going to pick it up. And then I read and saw if, if you there's own one thing that company likes, it's their money. Oh, yeah. If you <laughs> if you own Elite Dangerous you get an automatic 25% off. So it was like, well, that's not a sale. It's just a freaking discount <laughs> because we own it. And again, right now, because our currency is so low compared to you guys, it's all about the oil right now. The um, the exchange rate is ridiculous. So our games are routinely now 80 bucks. So a, a good sale will still put you at like 60 bucks. I was like, nope, not good enough sale for me to pick it up. I'll wait. So anyways, that being said, Let's jump into, there was a little bit of news, and then we'll jump into a lot of the other stuff, too, that was fairly interesting. Scalebound. Did you, like, shed a little tear when you read that? <laughs> that it's being delayed? So, I think <laughs> way, way back to a week ago, what was my most anticipated game of 2016? <laughs> Already shattered. First podcast episode of the year. Shattered. <laughs> it's a huge middle finger to Vince, and I love it. <laughs> well, I don't because I, I want the game too. Exact words were the game that will probably finally sell me an Xbox One. <laughs> well, it gives you more than a year now to get a really good sale on that Xbox yeah. One. So there you go. They're <laughs> thinking about your welfare, your money, <laughs> or lack thereof. <laughs> so yeah, well, I, I mean, was a but, but you look at it and they're talking about and you know, Platinum Games has made a number of games over the years. They're they're a very prolific studio. But as I said, this is by far the largest in scope they've done. So they want to take their time and do it right. Because if you look at what we saw months ago, at least the core mechanics of the game seem to be in place. Now they're just world building and all that stuff. That's a long time to delay a game, though. We're not talking, okay, well, instead it'll be... Well, we didn't know when in 2016 it was going to be out. Okay, we just 2016. It could have been a holiday release. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Well, whatever. One of the games that I spotted, and I spotted this weeks ago, and I actually approached the devs for this Night School Studio and said, "Listen, I'm really interested. If you can spare a key or more, we'd love to review it when the game does come out later on this year." They got back to me and they said, "Yeah, we." We'll add you to our list and we'll send you some. And, of course, I sent this to Joe because I figured this is right. Well, both of you, but Joe especially. Like 80s teen horror meets Telltale. I figured (laughs) this has got Joe written all over it. So I'm I'm guessing you're still pretty excited about this game. I I keep getting more excited for it if that's actually possible. The more I read about it, the more, like, I just, I need to play this game. Uh, Especially because now we're actually starting to get some interviews and they're talking about how they wanted to be have characters and story up front, but not sort of have it crammed in like a Telltale game, right? So one of the biggest, we, no, get me wrong, I love my Telltale games. We love our Telltale games here. But there's a certain disconnect, right, when you're playing the game and then you have to stop for a button press or you have to stop yeah. for whatever the case is. And it kind of, it can sometimes be pretty jarring. So in this particular case, they made, they're making the game so that everything is completely organic and 
literally there is no break in anything. There is no break for cutscenes. There is no break for input. Your character, Alex, if you're sitting there talking to somebody and you decide you want to walk away, they're going to react to you walking away because you can just walk away in the middle of the conversation. That's really ambitious, and that really intrigued the hell out of me. Okay, before you keep going, I assumed you would give the title of the game because I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the game is called Oxenfree. Thanks for picking up As on that. As an Ali Ali Oxenfree. Sorry, man. That, that nonverbal cue. Dude, I was just so excited. What do you want from <laughs> no, me? Keep going. Keep going. You were doing good. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, that's a really cool concept. I also like the fact that the game is not so much a, uh, a how do I put it? Like, it's not like a traditional, like, horror game. It's something in between, like, an adventure and a horror game where the ambience and the story and the characterization is first and foremost... And that's really cool to me because one of some of the most popular games that have really been kind of hitting the the horror scene lately have all been jump scares. Uh, Five Nights at Freddy's, even the park's been guilty of it. Like it's just that's sort of a thing. And well, there's a time that, and place for that. With children to discount, it's just it is nice to get something that's more about building the suspense over time instead. Well, and then the focus on atmosphere too. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like it's it's not so much that like just the characters have like a personality, the entire like the the setting for it has a personality. Right. The the whole the whole place where this is taking place, this this abandoned military island, for all we know, has a life of its own. And that's a cool concept in and of itself. Uh, Yes, there are supernatural freaky elements here, uh, but there's also a real story. And what what I thought was cool, and, and I don't know if you guys have you been keeping up with what the story is roughly based on roughly yes okay so you know the main character is an alex it's a female which is really really cool um but her and her mom uh have just basically moved to a whole new place her mom is just remarried uh she has a stepbrother she barely knows and her own brother uh tragically died and that was the circumstances that led to her parents splitting this is something that happens every day this is a real life thing that could happen to anybody that could happen to you know the person you go to school with and then it's also her trying to kind of get back to normalcy with her, with, with friends or with, you know, her family. Cause it's her and her stepbrother on this Island with their friends as well. It's just, it, everything about this, everything I'm seeing is just super cool and super, it's getting me super pumped to experience this. And I think it's going to be fantastic. And I think it's going to consume my soul. I think one of the things that I like about it is that, it's coming at a time for us when we just finished Life is Strange, which took regular girls but put them mm-hmm. in a unreal circumstance, and then one of them has these unreal powers kind of thing. Whereas this, and there's nothing wrong with that. It was bloody fucking awesome, and I loved every moment of it. But this is much more grounded instead. Yes, there are supernatural elements outside of them, but at least from what I've seen, at least the characters themselves are very much just regular people. So and I may have missed something we're in. That's not true, but at least from what I've seen so far, that is the oh, case. Yeah, they're, just, they're just normal regular people. Regular kids. Nothing... So I like that. It's it, it makes it far more grounded, and then you can relate to these people in this unreal circumstance then, and that was very, very cool. Well, and that makes, that relatability makes the horror that much more terrifying because yep. yep. you're suddenly, you know, you're not astronaut engineer fighting you know necromorphs with a plasma cutter on a space station no you're a person in the real world and having all this crazy shit happen to you it 
it hits you on a different level. So that is one that we are looking forward to coming out soon, oh, yeah, actually. Sure. And and uh, and so when it does come out, we will definitely be talking about it again because I'm sure we'll be going to be playing it. Vince, you found another one, too, this Thea the Awakening that freaking looked awesome as all hell. Yeah, I... <laughs> I wish I'd remembered it a week ago, seeing if it was going to in the Steam sale. <laughs> but yeah, this is a really cool... I'm not even going to try and describe what the game is, because it's an amalgamation of several different concepts. But it's uh, it's a turn-based strategy, kind of in the veins of like a Might and Magic or Armello, even. But it adds in a lot of roguelike qualities, choose-your-own-adventure stuff. It's this cool, dark fantasy world based on Slavic mythology, which is something that is present in so many games, but they just kind of like borrow bits and pieces from it. Like everybody knows Baba Yaga, but actually basing it solely in that setting is going to give it much more depth. And I'm really interested to see somebody really taking a deep dive into that mythos. How many turn-based horror survivor game, survival games really are out there or at least popular? Because honestly, I was thinking about that while I was watching the video for this and reading up on it. And I'm I'm trying to think of any that were, were memorable or that are out there right now. And I can't. And so I say it's, it's hard to pin down exactly what this game is because it borrows from so many different genres and puts them together into something unique. But I didn't think that it was it didn't feel like, say, a don't starve kind of thing more so right. because it does have that it does have that horror elements where they were saying like, there's no heroes here. There's survivors. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought of it very much like a walking dead kind of turn base, but hopefully the characters are much more relatable and not have their own quote unquote, still kind of superpowers kind of thing. Well, I, so, I don't think you're going to have any actual characters per se. It's more like the community yeah, as yeah, a yeah, whole yeah. Yeah. with, with, you know, certain individuals rising up based on, you know, your choices and, you know, all, all that stuff. So yeah, you're not, you're not, it's not a cast. You, you're just taking control of this small little village in the middle of shithole Russia, dealing with monsters in the night, vengeful gods and all kinds of shit that you could just go wrong in your life and just trying to scrape out a living. It made me think of, we actually have the walking dead board game and it is very much hexagon squares and you it's turn based going and things mm-hmm. like that. And it is a lot of fun. And that turn-based horror kind of element is actually, again, it's a ton of fun, and we don't see enough of that. I wish we did see more games that that did that. So I very much would like to to get my hands on this too. Mm -hmm. And and it it creates so much tension of, oh, my God, my town is going to starve in three turns, and I'm four hexes away. What am I going to do? Yeah. Yeah, stuff like that. But they're giving you so many options. A lot – there's a lot of – what was the head of the game? The Hand of Fate that we played. Yeah. A lot of that feeling in here of a lot of different paths you can take. And the cards. Yeah, I'm getting to that. I was saving the best part for last, Roger. <laughs> I've got it in my show notes in caps. <laughs> <laughs> where it's got some small roguelike elements where if you complete the game, you're going to unlock stuff that'll make, you know, your next experience that much different. There's multiple endings involved. It's very nonlinear. All of the story that you experience in the game it's just kind of out there in the wild there's no story presented to you just like hand of fate what was the story of hand of fate you're here playing this card game with this creepy motherfucker but the story in that game came about by just 
sheer happenstance almost of depending on what cards you were dealt. So there's a lot of that here. And yes, Roger, there's cards. <laughs> the core combat mechanic is not based on dice, not based on army strength. It's a card game and not just a card game. The card game was actually designed by the same people that made Gwent in Witcher 3. Yes. So it's probably going to be a very good card game but like seeing the way things work out here it's not you know it's not like a magic or or a hex where it's more about you know using your resources in the right way and not you know who has the strongest card but who can play their cards the best much more strategic i mean not to say those other games aren't strategic but also at the same time person with the best cards is usually going to win regardless of strategy so there's a lot that really has me interested in this game and now i'm regretting that (laughs) I didn't, didn't look, look for a few it. days ago. Sale. Yesterday you could have looked. <laughs> God. I do like the art style on this too and the UI and everything. There, there's a crap load of lore presented in in text format as well, uh, like in the quest mm-hmm. and different things that look uh, the like. The artwork is gorgeous. Yeah. I, I was, Especially some of those cards and the, and the uh, was it, that, when they showed like the different deities that your, that your town can swear itself to, those are, those were just mind blowing. Yeah. And then another one that you found, which I'm surprised that I didn't see this because I tend to visit the the PlayStation blog quite a bit to see what's going on, is this Masquerada, which really looks bloody awesome. I I like the concept of equalizing the the classes like they would be in D&D, equalizing them. And then it's that hunt to find a mask that then improves your class. That was pretty awesome. Yeah, I was pretty much sold on this game from the first paragraph where he's talking yeah. about this video game is based on a D&D campaign that he ran. And he came across a situation that a lot of DMs find themselves in is that at certain points, the spellcasters vastly overpower, you know, the more mundane characters. So he wanted to find a way to even that playing field. So he took all of these spellcasting classes out of the game and put all of the world's magic imbued into these masks. And anybody who wore a mask could use the magic that was imbued in it. So everybody was a fighter, but they also had this cool spell abilities. And it gave them a a drive to hunt and continue exploring the world to find more powerful masks. So they're like, okay, this is a cool concept. Let's turn it into a game. But on its own, it's fun. But they needed a way to match, you know, a world to it, not just, you know, generic fantasy world. And this is what I thought it was really cool here. The masks give you power, but not everybody can channel that power. The way that you have the focus and the control needed to channel these energies is through studying arts, studying dance, studying song, or even, you know, sports, which in its way is its own type of uh, almost performance art, if you will, of just, you know, mastering your body and its movements so this was really fucking cool setup of this cool world very um very stylish and everything is high class you know arts and, and music and the bits of music that we saw here were pretty awesome and there was just one quote at the end that really stuck with me and it's of story i must speak of songs and how important they are songs are written for fallen masquerada their hopes dreams and accomplishments this is the only legacy left behind as ombre is a city without gods without religion without an afterlife so music is going to be incredibly important to that game and i know that's something that strikes a chord with all three of us Oh, absolutely. What I like, too, is when they were talking about the different classes and they were talking about the quote-unquote priest class, Mm -hmm. whose job it is to record the dead. 
because there's a lot of people that are dying through this campaign for what it is that's going on in the story. And so it's a reality of that world. And again, it came off very, very dark, but then you look at the game and the game is insanely colorful. Like it's not hiding behind Mm -hmm. this, these dark brooding tones. No, it's wears its colors on the sleeves. It's very colorful, very atmospheric still, and has a, a gorgeous, gorgeous style. It, it kind of plays contrast to that idea. So I'm curious how it's going to play out. Yeah, I mean, it. it's just such a cool concept that I, I really hope the actual game works yeah. out. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to what's going to be coming up next from Don't Nod. And I got to tell you, I wasn't expecting a vampire game. I really wasn't. <laughs> Am I excited about this? I like what I'm hearing, but I never would have guessed that they'd go from Life is Strange to Vampire. Well, I really respect that, though, because they went, OK, we got really popular doing the slice of life teenage girl drama. What's next? Dark fucking vampires and death. Let's go for it. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're, you're talking about like teenage drama and you're going to gothic vampires, I mean, the, the leap isn't that great. <laughs> Having raised four teenagers, I agree. But it's definitely different from the types of teenagers we were presented with in in Life is Strange specifically. The only thing that kept my attention with this is hearing them talk about not just the concept behind what's going on and your driving force as the main character, but also how they're not trying to do the sparkle vampires and things like that. Because again, for me, the idea of vampires now is so... I, I, I've pretty much had it that with that. Yeah. So I, as I was reading this, I was like, oh God, not a vampire game. And then I'm reading more and more about it. And I was like, okay, it actually sounds fairly interesting. What gets me it, about it so far is like, it, this is like, do you guys remember Vampire the Masquerade back in the day? Oh, of course. Of this course, is like yeah. the game that I wish it was. Like from what I'm seeing here, like I, I thought like, the game back then was not so great. This is like that's great. This is what should have been. was a damn good game back then. But back then too, we hadn't had a crap yeah. load of vampire stuff either. So it was still not the sparkle vampires, and it was still. Sure. I thought that that time, especially considering what it was in its time, was damn good. See, and I didn't. Yeah, it, it doesn't. It doesn't hold up as well as, as our that. I uh, yeah yeah. <laughs> But this this looks like just the, the art style, the, the, like or at least the, the the art stills that we're seeing so far, and sort of that yeah, heavy still gothic a feel. Yeah, it's just like if that carries over into the game world, I'm I'm sold from like day one. See, it's interesting. Like I got a very strong like from hell vibe uh, from this. I mean, of course, you have the London setting, which in, in and of itself is going to give you to that. But when they're talking about the main character, how he's a doctor and he's very skeptical. In this world where superstition exists, but it's starting to be overpowered by undeniable science because it's taking place in early 20th century England and right in the middle of the Spanish flu. So it's it's dark in even without the vampires. It's a really bad time to be in London. But he's, you know, this skeptical character who doesn't believe in any of this stuff until he's literally turned into a vampire and is forced to accept this reality but still coming at it in a very clinical way i it's kind of like um like the strain but hopefully better 
<laughs> so because yeah. that was a great concept that wasn't written terribly well. I like it because it is like you're saying it's at a very interesting time in history where science was starting to make people question a lot of the hocus pocus from before kind of thing. So it's, it's at that very interesting time where you are seeing some people trying to educate others about the realities of what the world is kind of thing. And then also this idea of you, you can't really be the hero in the game per se, because Mm -hmm. you are a vampire and you have to feed. There's no way around that. They were saying you have to feed. So how you choose to proceed and who you're going to feed off of is going to determine, you know, how the game progresses for you. But there's no getting around the fact that you are still very much going to have to be feeding off of people. So I I like that idea. I, I like that you're not just going to be, you know, robbing, well, hopefully not robbing, you know, blood banks or shit like that because you're trying to be good. So you'll still have to off people but maybe they'll be really and then struggle with the morality of that yeah. yeah yeah so that that sounds interesting yeah they're going you know you have to feed off an innocent but who's innocent yeah and <laughs> it, it i i it's definitely seemed like it's going to have some of those that don't nod storytelling of there's definitely more going on than you're aware of and how how much of that world you as the player find is really going to affect the character development we're all going to be sitting there at one point going, God damn it, rewind. God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) Okay, from that to Persona 5. I know you want to talk about this forever. So go ahead. I thought this was Joe. No, no. No. No, Yeah, Game Informer had a uh, really cool interview with the director of Persona 5. And while there wasn't a lot completely new, it was definitely expanding on a lot of the stuff we've talked about before with the characters kind of being these outcasts and through finding this, you know, mystical other world and their ability to like steal the bad feelings out of people. They're improving the world around them. That's a pretty cool concept, but the way they expand on this now of, this is a big shift from the previous games because in all the previous games, you're a character that through circumstance ends up wrapped up in some serious shit murders, freaking end of the world. Like you name it, you can't help but be a part of this. Whereas the protagonist and the supporting cast, this is just a cool thing they've found. They don't have to do this. They're doing this by choice. So, they join in willingly because they're all individually kind of outcasts from society. They're not quite fitting in, but this gives them a place they can belong together. And it really leads to the camaraderie. That is such a huge, important thing of the persona series more so than solving mysteries and fighting monsters. The core of the persona series is forming bonds with the other characters around you. See, okay. Now here's where I'm going to play devil's advocate with this one. Mm-hmm. Not because I want to hate on it, because I, I would like to enjoy this, but you read about this, and then they're talking about the different characters, which I'm sure you're going to go into in, in a moment, but I, I won't go into it other than uh, to they, say, okay, other than to say, they're all the same kind of characters we see in damn near all of these types of games, whether they're Persona or things like that. I agree. And then when asked about that, 
Was it the, the a dev or was it the director? I can't remember. I I, I, I believe it's the director. Yeah, yeah. that's what I thought too. Is because they're saying like, how are these characters different? Well, they're choosing to go on this adventure. They're not forced into it like all the other games. That's not answering the question. They're that's their 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 perhaps their motivation for mm-hmm. what they're doing. But their actual character traits, their 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 personalities, everything is everything that we've seen in all of these other games. And so and I don't know that this is going to feel that much different than every other one. It's to the point where even they address the point that the Western audience may see this as cliched. I mean, they're bringing it up before anybody else is even saying well, that's actually that sounds cliche. different. And I'll, I'll break that down for you if, if you'll let me. <laughs> The the cliche argument starting there is uh, more the general feel because it's drawing from a lot of Western influences with the like the crime dramas and whatnot, where the main character is his persona is essentially Lupin, you know, the famous thief. So that's, I think, where they're going with the cliches of there's a lot of the uh, the themes and like the overall style of the game seems very familiar. But with the characters themselves, and this is coming from someone who's played a lot of the persona games. All of the cast of the Persona games has always been very archetypical. You, know, you have, you know, the the jock, you have the popular girl, and all this and that. And it's in connecting with those characters and seeing the deeper character beyond that facade, which is what makes the games unique. You know, you, you like Persona Four, Kanji. You know, he was the typical tough, you know, college or high school kid. You know, involved with gangs. But when you actually got to know him and saw more behind that facade that he puts up, that's the whole. That's the reason the game is called Persona. It's seeing who these people project as themselves and comparing that with who they actually are. And yes, on the surface, the characters are pretty much the exact same character we've seen from every other persona game but that's not what the game is about the game is about learning more about them and learning who they really are maybe then it's because i have never played any of them that long mm-hmm. to get to the point where they are anything but these stereotypical jrpg characters which is what is always disappointing and and i'll agree and it's it's something that the persona series struggles with that People who love it, love it, but people who don't have a hard time getting into it. So that's why, like, I like what they're doing here with, like you said, a lot of the 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 themes with the thieves and all that. It's going to have a more broad appeal. I mean, if you tell me, yeah, you're, you know, you take on the, the guise of a famous thief and they're talking about how all of the... Uh, the personas that the characters take on in this other world, they're popular heroes based on the collective consciousness of the people that they're involved with. This other, this palace is basically the creative energies of the surrounding town uh, have formed into this spiritual other world. So they're taking on these archetypical uh, heroic thief type characters and going in with that. So it's a, as weird as it sounds, it's probably a little easier to digest than, yeah, we go inside the TV to solve a murder. <laughs> so I, I think it has certain uh, visual and stylistic hooks that hopefully will broaden the audience a bit. Joe, thoughts? Meh. Okay. No, no, it's, <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah, not my thing. All right. Was there anything else in that interview worth uh, noting? 
Uh, no, like I said, they didn't give us a lot of new, like the stuff about the characters we've discussed previously right here on this podcast, but really just kind of some small details that changed the way you looked at them is, is how I saw it. Okay. Now, one of the ones that you brought up, and this was actually some time ago, and I had wanted to to talk about it, and I'd even downloaded it, but of course I haven't had a chance to to try it, and it's this game about this StarCraft II visual novel one. Have you actually played it yet? A little bit, I, and I, I downloaded it, I played it, and then I forgot about it. Okay, well, <laughs> obviously it's not that memorable. It. Oh, I know, I guess we're not talking about this game, I can back burner it. Okay. Because <laughs> I do have it still installed. Game- it, it It was interesting because it kind of by the sound of it, gives you at least some sort of insight into the pressures of that competitive play, which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, it's very cool that, I mean, the game is about a person aspiring to be a professional StarCraft II player. And it's like, oh, it's just playing video games, but getting into not just how hard it is to play the game itself, and I like how... Uh, they've supposedly replicated that and uh, you're not having to be there, the Twitch and actual actually playing the game, but forcing you with the strategic decisions that you have to make in the moment. I I like that. It's a cool way to take Starcraft and turn it into a visual novel because being able to click really fast is only part of the game. Knowing the strategy is really the more important part of it. I like that too, just just, because it was, it's an interesting idea. For mm-hmm. like how many the visual novels tend to be very much along the same lines, many of them being of romantic elements as well. And so this was just kind of left feel. And I, I really dug that. Yeah. And, and it's not just the, uh, the actual game, but dealing with sponsors, dealing with teams, yeah. dealing with just surviving in Korea, <laughs> stuff like that. But the part that really interested me, and this is something I, I want to see on a playthrough of my own, is... There's a statistically anomalous amount of female characters in the game because, let's be honest, the vast majority of professional gamers are male. But they felt it important to include a number of female characters, at least in your small little social circle to act to interact with. And they even say, if you choose a female character as the protagonist, the team that forms around you is going to have more women naturally just because, you know, marketing. I mean, that's the thing. It's not about <laughs> it. They, they're taking this in a very realistic way like okay you know if you're a girl you're gonna be surrounded by girls but you look at it from a a team sponsor standpoint well we have one girl on our team if we put three girls on our team suddenly we're the girl team and we're gonna be more marketable but it's the way the female characters interact and how they are sick of this shit as well and and having to deal with the the being looked down on or you know being seen as fake nerd girls and all that stuff that's really interesting to me well it came out at a time when there was more information and videos coming out too about, and I cannot remember her name, but there was that woman and it was a, an esports thing. And the way that she was being treated by her own team as well mm-hmm. was revolting. And then I kind of read this and saw their take on the female player as well. And I thought, okay, this is definitely something that I would like to play through and see if it's well handled kind of thing. Yeah. It- I think this might be a game we come back to in a little while. <laughs> yeah, because we are going to be doing uh, at least an episode where we're going to be talking about different, be it visual novel or these games that are the quote-unquote dating sims. We're not going to do 
the freaking pigeon game because I did that and I'm not doing it again. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's people Listen, who... Listen, I'm learning that the pigeon game has a very deep and rewarding story. <laughs> well, I did love my dead bird in the library. I will say that. <laughs> he was friggin' awesome. <laughs> Just because he was quiet and he left me alone. <laughs> the others are all idiots. And, uh, and it kills me that like people are like, well, your girlfriend. <laughs> like, these women are like... Playing through each of the characters as well, like they can romance and shit like that. And I'm going, I don't have the patience for that. I'm doing one. And then that's my, I made my choice. That's who I got. I'm done. (laughs) Moving on kind of thing. They're going through all of them. And then the good and the bad endings, which I still don't even know what the fuck that means. How you determine one's good and one's bad. But yeah. Normally it's, did you live or die? (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's just a different type of game. Like we were talking about on the pre-show. I spent the time all day Saturday and a good chunk of Friday night unlocking the various endings in Fallout because I wanted to experience the storylines of each of the factions. I mean, it's not that different when you break it down. It's a little bit different. (laughs) (laughs) Getting faction approval and and moving your way up in the ranks. It's wanting to see all the aspects of the story. fight against the Institute versus... Does this dreamy boy with white eyes love me more than this other dreamy boy with purple eyes? And which one is going to put me in a cage and drug me (laughs) with a kiss? My God, Sushi, what the hell's the matter with you, woman? Oh, I'll put in the show notes what the hell I'm talking about there. (laughs) But we will be talking about that game. Yeah, I got to force Joe to play that game too, so that we all can no. <laughs> talk about it. No, nope. we should have. We should. We should have bought him a copy when it was on sale for three dollars. It would never have been installed. <laughs> hey, if I can play it, you can play it. I, I was going to play it. We're talking about, by the way, the, the the very popular right now, Amnesia. What's it called? Amnesia. What? Amnesia Memories. Memories. And it's this Otome game, which is this dating game thing. And I told. Alicia that I would play it just so that I could stream it because she wants to hear me bitch about it as I'm playing it. And I was going to do that actually the other day on, cause I got my PC in the library now, but freaking um, XSplit was crashing whenever I'd put a game up. So I was like, well, so much for that. So until I figure that out, eh, not going to do it. Well, I mean, I, I will even go to say that I have played through all four of the main routes, not to any particular conclusion, just, trying to see where this where my natural choices led me and natural choices you sure you don't want to rephrase that no no. (laughs) okay roll with it we're gonna go with that (laughs) and i don't care one bit about like the romance or getting the guy to fall in love with me i'm slightly interested in parts of the story but for me i'm really looking at it like from a design aspect and like how the narrative design of the game is working and there's there's some interesting discussions to be had there oh i like the idea of visual novels that are a choose your adventure well, I'm kind saying of thing. this game specifically does some interesting things narratively and just general structure. And I don't have a problem with that. I, 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 I like those kind of stories too. I'm, I'm secure enough in my manhood. I don't give a rat's ass if I'm playing a boy dating a girl or a girl dating a boy, whatever. As long as the story is good, whatever it's It'll be fine. But then as I'm hearing, don't, don't them, expect life is strange out of this. One oh now. yeah. As I'm hearing them talk <laughs> about it and the different options, I'm going, maybe I shouldn't be playing this game. <laughs> Because it will not be good. 
but that's that's exactly why we want you to play it, Raj. We yeah. want to see how bad it's going to get. Oh, it's going to get loud, <laughs> especially if I have a drink or two in me. That should be interesting. We know you're going to hate it. It's just you want to be along for the ride. It, it's like when a new comic comes out, and I go, "Man, Roger's going to hate this." Let's make him read it. Let's make him read it. <laughs> you wonder why I made you watch Fantastic Four. <laughs> that is why. It's like that whole thing. Oh, man, this tastes awful. Try some. Yeah. <laughs> okay, lastly, you found a very interesting article about Xbox. And it was bloody friggin' long. Not all of it was interesting, but there were some really cool things throughout. It, cards again? <laughs> Although it was a ridiculous game, but still. Uh, but what I liked about it is giving you that behind the scenes to see how the impact that Microsoft has when working with third-party devs, be it, say, with the game Quantum Break or with Crackdown 3 or with smaller devs as well for what it means for those games moving forward, which has a huge impact. Because if we look at, say, and I'll let you get into it in a moment, but if we look at, say, Quantum Break, which initially was going to have a lot more TV when they were pushing the Xbox mm-hmm. One more as that entertainment console, and as there was that backlash and it's become more a gaming console instead, now Quantum Break can go back to have more gameplay with far shorter TV sessions, and that's where the devs wanted it in the first place. So I, I thought that was fairly interesting, actually. Yeah, it's basically a long article about Microsoft realizing they done fucked up. Yep. And all the steps they've taken to correct the course. And they talk about all the technology and all the stuff they want to do with the Xbox as a console and, you know, Windows and the operating systems and all that. But they did a great job of tying it into games. And they said um, Quantum Break is the perfect example. Quantum Break is the poster child for what Microsoft wanted the Xbox brand to be two, three years ago. And that's not what they want the brand to be anymore. So <laughs> you, you can see it, the difference in the marketing. When we first heard about Quantum Break, all we heard about was revolutionary storytelling, blurring the lines between video game and television. And now all we hear about the game is here's all the cool shit you can do with time powers. And oh, oh yeah, there's this TV series that we filmed for it too. That I might, You might be interested in that. Check it out. It's going to be on the disc. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I And I prefer it that way. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> or they went in with... Um, Cloud computing. Cloud computing is something we've heard about since day one on the Xbox One, but we've seen it used to small effect here and there. But they said when Crackdown 3 comes out, you're going to see cloud computing the way we envisioned it because they specifically approached the developer, went, here's all this technology, do something awesome with it. And they had the thing about Crackdown, the first game was fun, second one, not so much. I've, I've only played them a little bit. It's a huge open world, and we've open worlds are pretty much the standard in the current era of gaming but there is a large amount of freedom even compared to a lot of its contemporaries but what they want to do with crackdown 3 is absolutely taking it to the next level and with being able to draw upon more processing power than an xbox one by itself can do is giving it you know these ridiculously destructible environments it it seems like a game that if there's anything you want to do, you literally can do it. There's going to be very little restrictions on the player just because there's a vastly superior amount of processing technology behind it. And that's cool to see that 
they're actually realizing we can't just use all these cool buzzwords. We have to give people practical applications of this technology. See, I've been interested in this ever since it was initially announced just because of the scope of it. The scope of it is incredible when you see it in motion. And here when you're reading about it and they're showing what it would look like just run off of the Xbox versus what it would look like run with cloud computing. And it's a massive, massive difference, obviously. And that's very cool. The only thing is, is that I'm fairly nervous about it as well. Because I'm going to assume Joe's in the same boat as I working, I'm for the government, but he's a big mm-hmm. company, is that a lot of what we do is on cloud now, cloud computing yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. And whoa, you have a lot of problems. When you have a lot of people accessing the same things and you routinely have to be rebooting those servers and having a oh, lot of different problems, yeah. a lot of different problems. Well, not so, only that, then you have to worry about backbone issues, what path yep. you're taking. You have to worry about the networking to those nodes. It, it it's, gets it's really, problematic. really complicated. Yeah, so, but, I mean, if, if anybody can do it properly who has the money to invest in it to make sure that it doesn't fall flat on its face, well, that should be Microsoft, and hopefully that will be the case. I'm just, again, because we use it so much and because... Because so much of the work that I do is helping people with problems with cloud computing, I'm I'm still kind of hesitant. I'm like as much as I want to get this right away, I will not pre-order this, and I'm going to wait a while while it's out just so that I can see yeah just how well it runs for everyone, and then if it proves itself, then it's like okay, now it's worth it to pick it up because from what we've seen, it is. It's a leap, like not just a, a jump for it. It's a fucking leap forward in terms of a fully realized open world. And that's gorgeous as well. So, yeah. That's and I'm in the same f- boat as Roger at this point. Yeah, that's a feeling I got a lot reading this article of all the various technologies, the cloud computing, the the multimedia, the the synergy between Xbox and Windows. Like a lot of this stuff feels to me like things Microsoft as a company would have been working on anyway. And they're using the Xbox brand, if you will, almost as like a public testing environment and a way to maybe recoup some R&D costs by having a more practical application for this stuff ahead of time. Like, it's kind of weird because it, it it's stuff that I know Microsoft would be doing if the Xbox brand didn't exist. And they're just finding new applications and, you know, of course, revenue sources using the technology. But a, a lot of this, you know, they're pioneering new ground with a lot of it. I did like it because of the stuff, like as you're mentioning too, the 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 ideas of the whys that they're doing something like this, whether they were talking about the Connect or even just why keep going with Xbox when there have been years when clearly it has not made a lot of money. And it's just because there are so many gamers and to appeal to as many as possible to get them to use Windows products. And <laughs> yeah. you want these as your Windows buyers. And it's like, it's funny how they see something versus how we see it and how they present it even kind of thing. It's, it's really, it's, they certainly have a passion for it and they are doing right by it in some cases, or they, they try to course correct as much as they can kind of thing. But the reasons for why it exists was fairly interesting and 
a lot more open than I would have expected from them mm-hmm. as well. Like, it's really easy for me to look at it very cynically of, you know, of course, it's Microsoft finding a new audience and a new revenue stream. But and and it goes to the change in focus. And like they were talking about with ReCore. ReCore doesn't use any of this fancy technological shit. They just wanted to make a really good video game. So they went out and did it. And uh, the way I look at it is there was a period where Microsoft saw the Xbox brand as just that a brand that it was something that was going to be there. Gamers were going to buy their shit regardless and they realized that wasn't working. So they they refocused and went back to what made Microsoft and the Xbox as initially successful as it was of, yeah, we have all this cool technology. That's great. But if we're going to be in the games business, we need to do it right. We need to make good games. We need to make games the focus of the Xbox brand and build all the other stuff they're doing off what the actual games can do. So I, on one hand, I'm looking at it fairly cynically, but on the other hand, I'm looking at it of, well, you know what? If they're going to do this, at least they seem to be wanting to do it the right way. Maybe not for the right reasons, but at least for the right doing it the right way. I've been married long enough. Reasons don't mean anything. <laughs> not a damn thing. All right, that is actually going to wrap up this episode for this week. Thank you to everybody who joined us, and thank you for listening. We will be back, of course, on Monday of next week. However, we are also going to have a bonus episode on Wednesday, and that is going to be our next Shadowrun session. As I said, I didn't want the Shadowrun sessions to replace our regular episodes of For the Lore, as D&D does. There's only so much extra stuff that you guys may want to listen to. However, we are, are still going to keep going with the Shadowrun stuff just because it's been a lot of fun. So we're going to be recording one on Wednesday. And Joe, are we going to have a special guest or not? I have not heard confirmation. God damn it. Well, we may or may not get a, have a guest join us for a one-off character, which would be a lot of fun if they do join us. But no pressure. Has guest listened to the first episode and knows what the hell he's going to be dealing yeah. with? <laughs> It's not our D&D. He doesn't have to put up with Sir Reginald. Let's be honest. Nobody should have to put up with Sir Reginald. (laughs) This is true. I mean, to be fair, you guys have interacted with precious few NPCs at this point. We don't know what's going to happen. This is true as well. Anyway, so there will be that episode. We're going to be recording it on Wednesday, though, as per the norm with those episodes. We're not going to be broadcasting live. And it'll come out Thursday, maybe Friday. And we'll have our regular episode again on Monday of next week. You can find us at ForTheLore.com. And, of course, we are on Twitter at ForTheLore. Joe is at LoadersAJ. Vince is at Simonian. I am at Zen Buddhist. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher as well. And from, I guess that's it. We'll talk to you next week. I martyred it up just because. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't insulted that bastard in a while. So subconsciously, I screwed up. It's been just at least that. six days. I know. Last episode of CBI, I was nice. <laughs> I Roger was nice. nice. True, but it was nice. <laughs> it was nice for me, and that's good enough. Motherfucker doesn't like that too bad for him. I didn't make fun of his hair, which, come on. The restraint there alone paints me as a saint. Love you, Marty. (laughs) (laughs) This is a funny way of showing love, Marty. It's okay. Seriously, though, I I don't know. I was going to talk to you. This is your version of the dog cage, Roger. Okay, anyways. (laughs) This is how you show your love. It is. 
I'm still using the freaking, as my go-to weapon, the devolver that I got <laughs> early enough, yeah, and I, yeah. I pumped it up. That motherfucker's amazing. Still. The Righteous Authority I got from Dance is still, like, my go-to weapon. <laughs> I got I've some, had that since, like, level six. Yeah, I've got some other ones that are quite good, and it's still, that's the one I go through just because I'll go into VATS immediately, and you have like 47 action points to put in, <laughs> and it's gonna. I'm gonna put five in your uh, right knee. Why not? Then some more in your head, and oh, you got a buddy with him. I'm gonna, you know, shoot his dick for a while, and all this other stuff. And then you just let go and let him shoot. You can go make a sandwich and come back, and he's still <laughs> shooting. So I was like, yeah, that's good enough for me. Like when I was attacking the uh, the railroad as part of the Brotherhood's quest, which felt really bad like i just felt terrible going in there and destroying the railroad like i was like oh this this doesn't feel right but it's hilarious like i'm getting shot and i just look at my inventory you picked up railroad spike you picked up railroad spike oh yeah <laughs> also i like the fact I, I still love i really really love headshots with the railroad spike because it's like one finding where the head went if you're in the middle of the woods is always amazing uh and two i really enjoy like right clicking and taking the head back to the body and like placing it on the corpse <laughs> it's it's just so much fun like that word go. that word just makes me ugh. I feel that way about most words on the internet <laughs> <laughs> I feel that way about the word internet <laughs> <laughs> and almost everything it entails Thank you for listening to For the Lore. Each week, the show is broadcast live on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Stop by forthelore.com slash live to join the conversation and have your thoughts discussed on the show. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Comic Book Informer, a weekly podcast from Vince and Roger, as well as Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, ManelliJamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.